according to some history books. Our species was once one of the dumbest kind roaming this globe. But if we really were in the possession of a so-called daily dementia, then how is it that we since the beginning of time were looking up to the skies, seeking answers to the questions, what is out there? Are we truly alone in the universe? After millions and millions of years, the universe and some of its content is still one of the greatest unexplained wonders in human history. It seems that we just cannot wrap our minds around this black thing we are swirling in. So what is it that is out there and was there something or someone providing the first specimens of our species with the needed information for us to think in a creative manner what over time evolved in an advanced technological era. I am your host Maria Anna van Driel and you are listening to The Next Truth Where Science and Myth Meet, a weekly podcast in where scientists and citizen scientists speak about the incredible research, awe-inspiring theories and mind-dazzling paradoxes for you to explore the connections between accepted and noetic science. This week I am speaking with SETI's senior astronomer, Dr. Seth Sostak, about which secrets still lies beyond the limits of our understanding regarding to our cosmic freezer. Welcome to this uh, uh, podcast of uh, The Next Truth. And I'm, I'm very happy to uh, have you here to speak with you. After all this time, I can see you finally. And yes. um, you are SETI's senior astronomer. Everybody knows you. Um, but how did you get with SETI? Well, the SETI enterprise, the idea of trying to find the extraterrestrials by, um, you know, using big antennas and trying to find radio signals. That goes back to 1960. So that's 60 years old now, that's a, that idea. And people are still doing it, basically. Uh, but I developed an interest in SETI. You know, when I was a student, I was just sort of interested. I read about it. Yeah. But I was also doing radio astronomy for my thesis work. I did radio astronomy. And I also worked in the Netherlands for 13 years. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, doing radio astronomy there. They have a, you know, a, a, several radio telescopes. So I even did uh, an experiment in the Netherlands, looking at the center of our galaxy for signals, you know, see if there were any super civilizations down there. The Dutch are not very big on SETI. They, they uh, claim they are too sober a people for that, but uh, it was at least one experiment. But then I moved to California for completely other reasons. And I wasn't here terribly long, about a year before people at the SETI Institute called me up and offered me a job. And so you took it. And since ever since I you were there. That's, that's correct. I took it. At first, I didn't want to take it as a full-time job because I had had the experience of losing a full-time job and then you have nothing. So I thought it was better to have lots of part-time jobs, which I did for a while. 
Now, now you have to have to explain which part-time jobs. Was just asking myself when I lost this job. It was asking myself, what is it that I could do that other people would pay for? Hmm. And there weren't too many things other than you know delivering groceries. Uh, that's probably today a better job than it was then. But hmm. uh, you know, writing, teaching, speaking, photography. These are all things that uh, I could do. And I, by the way, still do. Uh, you know, I, I still sell my photos. I still give talks uh, that people pay for. I still write for uh, magazines and newspapers. So I still do that. But it was very interesting. I recommend it to everybody. Uh, this is harder in Europe, by the way. But I recommend it to everybody to totally lose your income. That's uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Well, I'm, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you see, see that that that's that's something wrong with the setup in Europe, where nobody uh, you know has to worry about their next hamburger. But here, you could you could have to you could have that problem. SETI, what is it standing for? I mean, what is the 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 short uh, uh, term saying, and and what does it mean? What is the content of SETI, except for searching uh, 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 the universe for extraterrestrial life forms. Yeah, well, it's more than that, because there are plenty of people who are looking for life elsewhere in the universe. In fact, most of the people at the SETI Institute are doing that, but they're looking for life nearby. Maybe Mars, maybe the moons of Jupiter, maybe the moons of Saturn. And all of those places are places where there might be life, right? But it would be microscopic. It would be bacteria-like life. Uh, but SETI is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So not just life, but the kind of aliens you see at the mo uh, local movie theater. The, you, you mean the gray aliens with the big black eyes? Or what do I have to think about that? That's what you have to think about, yes. We're talking about life forms that you don't need a microscope to see. They'll come right up to you and maybe, you know, eat you or kill you or, or do something. Those aliens, those gray guys, they're always gray. I guess they figure, well, we don't want to make them white. We don't want to make them black. And we don't want to make them green. We'll make them gray. That's kind of neutral. Right? Did SETI uh, already have found a, um, a slight kind of proof that there might be, except for bacterial or subatomic particle, things uh, uh, living uh, uh, at Mars, for instance, but a little bit bigger? Well, no, 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 no. Uh, look, there is no sort of s slight evidence, right? It's like sending somebody, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago to Africa. Now, we want you to look for really big animals with long noses that can pick up things, right? Mm. And what if they come back and they say, well, we saw some slight evidence. You'd say, well, what is that? That means nothing. Either you saw them or you didn't see them. And that's the situation when it comes to life in space. We have not found any life in space. And when I say we, I mean humanity has not yet found any life in space, whether it's microscopic or whether it's little gray guys with big eyeballs. What influenced you, your interest in astronomy in the first place? Well, I was interested in astronomy as a kid. I think people develop interests between the ages of eight and 11. And, uh, you know, whatever those are, those are the ones they tend to keep. Uh, and I was interested in astronomy as a young age because I 
you know, I, I, I was looking at a book at home. And I built a telescope and all that sort of thing. But the idea of aliens was a particular interest because many of the movies I saw when I was a child and TV shows, for that matter, we had a TV in 1948, actually. Many of the TV shows also had aliens. So when I was much older and I was doing research using radio telescopes, it struck me as kind of a romantic idea that uh, you could use those radio telescopes to actually prove that there are real aliens out there. Did, did you yourself saw something in the sky that you say, okay, that is, that I cannot explain. No, no, I've never had yeah. that experience. No, but I mean, a lot of people do, right? One third of the population believes that the aliens are here, that some of these UFOs are alien beings and all that sort of thing. Uh, I've seen plenty of UFOs, <laughs> but I never, never thought they were aliens. Because? Oh, because they, they were clearly something else. Like <laughs> you what? can see us. Everybody well, wants to know. What is it? If it's not right, what is well, it? I was driving down one of the freeways in Los Angeles a couple of years ago, and I saw something in the sky, and it wasn't moving. And it looked mm. like this round thing. And I thought, what the heck? You know, it looked very big, although it was hard to tell, of course. And I thought, okay, maybe the aliens have finally decided to come to Los Angeles for real. But uh, as I drove farther down the freeway, I realized it was uh, what we call a dirigible here, what you would call a Zeppelin in Germany. <laughs> Nothing special there, then. The, well, yeah, there, are, there aren't very many of these dirigibles. Okay, but. in that in that sense, yeah, that is special. <laughs> but uh, speaking about um, uh, out of this, this world, um, in one of your um, uh, articles, uh, it's, it's bearing the title, Could Alien Life Exist in a, a Parallel Universe? In there you write uh, that a recent paper um, in the monthly notice of the Royal Astronomical... Astronomical, astronomical yes. Correct, that one. Society uh, suggested that uh, um, some of that real estate might be home to alien aliens who aren't just out of this world. Now that, that it, it almost sounds, when you read a little bit further, it almost sounds as, as if these aliens are just around the corner. Well, they uh, might be uh, not even that far away. Uh, they might be right where you're sitting. If they're in a parallel universe, don't say that. That is very creepy. What you yeah, but don't worry. They won't get into your universe, so it's not a problem, right? If they're in a parallel universe, you can't detect them. I, the whole idea that there are parallel universes is an interesting idea, but it's like sitting around in uh, 1500 uh, speculating on what the wildlife might be on any continent at the South Pole. They didn't even know there was a continent at the South Pole, and they certainly didn't know what it was like, and they certainly didn't know that the only real inhabitants are penguins, right? They didn't know any of that. But they could sit around in the, uh, you know, the Rotskellers of Europe and talk about it, but, it, you know, you can't, if you can't prove it, if you can't send a ship down there, then it's just talking beer. So uh, that's the way I look at the, the, the aliens in the parallel universes. So we are looking for something we have not even the slightest idea for what we are looking for. 
in the, if you're talking about a parallel universe, yes. But if you're talking about our universe, then you know a few things. I mean, astronomers have been busy for, uh, you know, four or five hundred years, and they've learned a lot about our universe, and we can speculate on what the aliens might be like. Uh, you're talking about parallel uh, universes, and, and which people also make uh, uh, give the th thoughts of parallel dimensions. Now, I was talking um, uh, uh, some weeks ago with somebody from uh, Paranormal Underground magazine, and that man came with a very interesting theory. You've got UFOs made from uh, by people, and they are hovering on the magnetic fields of the earth, on the uh, of the earth um, by means of the technological human man-made uh, magnetic fields disturbing the uh, earth magnetic fields could give a result in people seeing things they, that are not really there. So that a man-made UFO is creating an illusion in the mind of people so that they are seeing aliens. I'm playing the devil's advocate here. You know, that's an idea. That's like my saying that, you know, there's going to be a giant bunny coming <laughs> in my front door cooking dinner for me tonight. I mean, it might happen, but I can talk to you about it all I want. But it that's, it's not terribly interesting because, you know, if there's no proof of that, then it's just an idea, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it's a theory. It's an idea. Okay, fine. Right. Yeah. But I, I, so I, don't see any, I, don't, I don't see any science in it, so... It, it, it can be. It can be that it is a distortion in magnetic field, so that well, you are going into a kind of trance. Yeah. Well, to begin with, <laughs> do you find that you go into trances whenever the magnetic field in your house is distorted? I mean, when you turn on know. the... Yeah, you don't. I mean, if you try, if you turn on your oven, right, I, uh, you know, it, it, also, it, it uses a lot of current, right, yeah. and it's as a result... It also produces some magnetic fields. There are some, right? And do you suddenly find yourself going totally nuts and spinning <laughs> around on the floor and doing strange things? I mean, if you do, well, you know. To be honest, no, 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 that's not true. <laughs> no, I don't know, because I don't know what reality really is. So well, nope. there's, it is a speculation. It's a thought, and I thought it was an, an amazing idea. Yeah, well, there are lots of amazing ideas. I, I hear from people every day who are uh, dealing with aliens. And, you know, there was some woman here in California called me up and she really wanted me to get rid of the aliens in her house because they were forcing her to teach them English so they could read the newspapers. Seth, are you still there? I think forced my connection there. Seth. Okay, so the connection is gone. The connection is back. Yes, the aliens. You know what it was? The and magnetic yeah. field. Magnetic field in my Seth, room sorry, here. Sorry, sorry, sorry for uh, uh, interrupting you, but this made me think uh, uh, um, about uh, what was the show again from Art? Oh God, that I, I forgot his, his last name. Oh that the show was uh, interrupted because of a story of Area 51. Do you oh, remember? Art Bell? 
Yes, that one. There was a show and it got uh, 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 disturbed. It, it got cut cut off from the air. So I, I was thinking about it. You were gone for there for a couple of seconds. Just in yeah. the moment that you were talking about the woman uh, um, and, and, and the aliens. Yeah, yeah. They wanted uh, her to teach them English so they could read the newspapers. What did you do? Well, I just told her that, uh, you know, in my opinion, if they really wanted to learn English well enough to read the newspapers, I mean, she should be altruistic a bit about it and just teach them. I mean, what's the harm? At least they weren't trying to serve her up for dinner. No, that is that is too scary. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares. I don't want to sleep at night when you well, talk you, like you, that. you don't want to teach anybody another language? I no, mean, no, no. I mean, creepy aliens eating people. That's Don't do that. <laughs> well, they're not, they're, they're not going to eat you. Only in the movies do the aliens find us tasty. In reality, we probably would be indigestible. Okay. Uh, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to skip this section because that is too much. No. <laughs> we have our next generation scientists and thus uh, astronomers. Oh. And, and um, how do you become an astronomer? Oh, well, uh, I, you know, that's the same everywhere. If you're interested in astronomy and want to become uh, somebody doing astronomy research or become a professor of astronomy at the local university, or for that matter, even just learn enough about the subject that you appreciate your backyard telescope more, you can just, you know, take courses in astronomy. Or if, uh, and, and, you know, almost every school, uh, every university, every college will have courses in astronomy, almost every one. Astronomy and biology are the two most popular science studies, uh, at least in the United States, and I think in Europe too. So that's not hard, but if you don't want to do that, or if it's not possible for some reason, you can always read books about it. There are just thousands and thousands and thousands of books about astronomy. So it's, it's very straightforward. It's like asking, well, how can I become a doctor? It's very straightforward. You, Go, you take the right courses at university, you go to medical school, whatever. And and uh, SETI's Girl Scout is also connected to? Well, that's, that's slightly different. That's an education project yeah. that the Institute uh, runs with the Girl Scouts to develop materials, educational uh, literature, that the girls can study and then get what's called a merit badge. Now, this is a little different in other countries, but that they can show that they know something about astronomy or, for that matter, even SETI. So it turns out because kids are very interested in aliens, uh, SETI is a great topic to get them to study something more about biology, astronomy, geology. And that is only in, in uh, California or, or the U.S., uh, because I know that there's also a Girl Scout uh, in Germany, for instance. Yeah. Is I, I SETI, think, SETI California also connected with Germany? Uh, no, they're, they're working with the Girl Scouts of America. But you're right. They're, I mean, you know, the whole idea of scouting, I think it originated in the uh, in England, actually, with the, the, uh, the, you know, they were called Boy Scouts, and then you had the Girl Guides and so forth. But there are programs like this in almost all countries, you know, that 
that are wealthy enough to have these things. You, you what was that? Not here. <laughs> Could be an alien attack on Dusseldorf. I don't know. <laughs> well, I will see it knocking on my door then. <laughs> Said you are not only uh, uh, an astronomer uh, with SETI, but you also have big science, a, a radio podcast from SETI itself. And uh, which kind of guests uh, do you have in your program and, and which kind of topics are you discussing? Big picture science. Yeah, it's yes. a podcast and it's also a broadcast. It's actually on, I think, like 140 stations or something. And it's an hour every week, And we, but it's thematic. We take a theme. And most recently, the themes have all had to do with the COVID-19 pandemic. And so we will talk in the course of a show to three or four mostly scientists, sometimes science journalists, uh, about, you know, a particular topic. For example, you know, have we finally learned where the pandemic, where this virus originated? Was it with a bat or was it, did it have an intermediate host or, you know, could it have been manufactured? Whatever, all that stuff. So we talk to people uh, about that and that's the way the show is organized. Thematic, thematic. Yep. Which is the most uh, rememberable uh, um, program from big science for you and why? Well, that's hard to say. Uh, some of the uh, original, some of the ones that we did a long time ago, which were live back then, you see, uh, and there's a big advantage to doing a live show. A live show means you can take callers, uh, but, you know, and if it isn't live and you can't take callers, it's very much harder to put together a, an hour of material every week. But uh, be that as it may, um, you know, in the early days, things would go wrong. And that was pretty memorable and remarkable. Like, for example, the guests would forget all about it and not show up. Uh, and because it's live, you're sort of stuck. Mm. Those kinds of things. But in terms of the content, um, no, I mean, many of the guests are quite interesting. That's for sure. You mentioned me, uh, to me once that you are involved in dark matter. I know this is a dramatic uh, topic uh, uh, switch, but um, how did you get involved in, in this journey for, or, or, or the hunt for that what is uh, missing in the universe? That was my thesis topic, actually, when I was a graduate student, was studying galaxies. And uh, and I found that, uh, to my surprise, everybody's surprised, although I was the only one who knew it at that time, they were all rotating. They were all spinning too fast, too quickly. And uh, there was something happening there that either there was a problem with the data that I had taken or the way it had been analyzed, or there was something else in the universe that was causing this. And uh, I spent uh, quite a bit of time thinking that the problem was me, that it, there was an error in my computer programs or whatever. But that's how I got involved. That was the first uh, recent, anything since the 1930s, the first real evidence that there is dark matter in the universe. Uh, that, that discovery was taken over by somebody else, a woman in uh, Washington, D.C., and she gets all the credit for it. But in fact, my uh, thesis advisor and I had found it four or five years before she got work, uh, got started on that project. 
you found it. Yeah, I think that that's fair to say. I think that's fair to say. So Seth, what is it? What what is dark matter? Nobody knows. If you if you can figure that out this afternoon, uh, I recommend that you uh, go check uh, check out the train schedules to Stockholm because uh, you know you'll have to go there to collect a prize. Oh yeah, <laughs> maybe we should talk after the show then because I well, have I no idea, including how we can and how we are interacting with it. But uh, that is my humble uh, idea. But well, you can you can join many many scientists who are trying to figure out what dark matter is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, fast radio births. That is also one of the things that you wrote about. In, in several articles. Why are they called fast radio births? Well, yeah, it's because uh, fundamentally, it's because astronomers are not very imaginative, right? Fast radio bursts are fast, they're radio, and they are bursts. So astronomers call them fast radio bursts. You see how imaginative they are. Uh, but they're like a, you know, a very short squeak on your radio receiver, sort of pew, like that, very fast. You know, mm. maybe a thousandth of a second, a hundredth of a second, kind of like an eye blink, really. And they were found actually by a guy sitting at his desk in West Virginia about a dozen years ago, who was looking at data that had been taken by a radio telescope in Australia. But since then, many, many dozens of these things have been found. Some of them even repeat. And if they repeat, if they go pew, like that, and then you know, two hours, two days, two weeks later, they go like that again. Then you can sit on a radio telescope and wait for it to happen the next time. And then you can sort of pinpoint where it's coming from and see where in the universe uh, these, these funny things are happening. And they tend to be very far away, which means that these bursts represent a lot of energy because in order to pick up a little radio twitch like that, at a distance of billions of light years, gotta be pretty powerful. Do you think that uh, a fast radio burst um, is similar to uh, the wolf frequency? The, the which frequency? <laughs> the wow frequency. Oh, the wow, the wow signal. The wow, the wow, okay. wow. Oh, I, I thought you said the wolf frequency. <laughs> no. The frequency of wolves around here is pretty low. I, <laughs> not too many of them. Uh, okay. Yeah. The wow signal. Well, the wow signal was completely different in terms of its technical characteristics. And the real thing about the wow signal is that it was seen once, but never again. Never again. And, you know, that might be true of most radio bursts. Right, they go off once, and then we never see them again. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not true of all radio bursts. We find other radio bursts in other parts of the sky, and the wow signal was only seen once. A minute later, it was gone. Right, it was not seen a minute later, and it has never been seen since. Even though people have tried very hard to find it. So if you only see something once, it's like you know, it's like seeing a, a ghost in your uh, attic, right? Uh, and if you only see it once the neighbors are not going to be very interested and won't invite you over for dinner again. Do, do you think that these fast radio births, and I believe um, this is a, almost a, 
a common theory about these uh, bright flashes in in the in the universe that these bright flashes could contain a, a kind of binary code from a different galaxy or uh, primordial code. Well, I mean, it's conceivable that there's some information in that signal, but given that it's very short. That means that the amount of information that could be in it is very, very low, right? For example, if you talk to me for uh, only a, 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 a tenth of a second, right, you might be saying something, but you certainly couldn't give me, uh, you know, the Wikipedia entry on Elton John, not in a tenth of a second, right? But so, maybe maybe that, that small piece of information is just enough um, to change a couple of atoms so that a new race in the universe can start an evolution? Probably on Mars. Well, that sounds like a theory that uh, is about at the same level of, uh, you know, distortions in magnetic fields causing the aliens to float around. I mean, I still think you know, that's a great theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can laugh, but hey. I mean, look, look. If the aliens are going to go to, if the aliens are going to go to the trouble of sending signals into space, right? Uh, they they should put more information in the signals. But Otherwise, maybe it's, it's maybe it's not from an alien species. Maybe it's just like you said in one of your uh, videos. Uh, from uh, from a star exploding, but or, or I don't know a planet or something natural in the universe, but yeah. contains a, a certain kind of frequency or a code, a binary code that is changing a couple of atoms or a couple of no, not atoms, a couple of of uh, subatomic particles that creates new atoms. Well, it could be, but how are you going to prove that? And why do you say it in the first place? It, I mean, it's it's kind of unmotivated. It's like saying, you know what? I think those fast radio bursts are going to wash over the earth and they're going to improve the poetry that's written next year. Hey, you know, maybe, but that does seem very reasonable. I mean, there's no mechanism for that, right? It, it It's just, I'm sure these are natural things. In fact, I'm willing to bet you, uh, you know, a, a cup of coffee. That's my usual bet for everything. I'll yeah. bet you a cup of I'll bet you a cup of coffee that within two years we'll know what causes the fast radio burst, and it won't be aliens. I mean, if, look, uh, you know, it's like uh, I'm going to communicate. Why are you so sure about the two years? Uh, that's just history. When you hmm. look at, you know, how long it takes to figure out new astrophysical phenomena, usually it takes about two years. That's not always true. We still don't know what dark matter is. We still don't know what dark energy is. But most things, you know, quasars, pulsars, all those sorts of things were pretty much figured out very quickly. So I think that that's likely what will happen. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's going to result in a new race of, you know, aliens or anything like that. Hey, look, it, it, there's so little information that you can get into it. It's like saying I'm going to communicate with the, uh, you know, with the Italians by going down to the beach and putting a, a message in a bottle. Right, mm. but I'm gonna gonna let I'm gonna put that message in the bottle, but I'm gonna make sure that the paper is only one by one millimeter. Right, you can't I can't tell them very much on a one by one millimeter piece of paper. Do you think that we um, 
except for you saying two years, but do you think that we ever will um, well sit around uh, uh, the table with alien species uh, without being eaten and communicate? I think we will hear from them, I, obviously. Uh, I think SETI will eventually succeed and will pick up the signal. But keep in mind, you know, that signal might be coming from a society that's very far away. They could be a thousand light years away, right? So that signal took a thousand years to get to us. That's okay. Who cares? But if you respond and you, you know, send back a signal, hi, we're the earthlings. We really are really, really happy to hear from you guys. Hope everything's all right. Don't eat us, whatever. It takes another thousand years for that signal to get back. So it's a very slow conversation. So we need a time machine. No, you just have to be willing to look at this the way you look at reading, you know, uh, Cicero or, or uh, you know, Julius Caesar, right? I mean, it's an old so, message. Something, something just uh, uh, popped into my mind when I said time machine. Uh, I was thinking, well, when you have a time machine, let's say, I don't know how it's looked like, but then you go back to your own past, send the signal, and then you go to your to the present, so that the signal is already thirty years uh, on, on its way. So, do you do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come back just in time to get the response, or something. Yeah, without aging. Yeah, that's great. The only the only difficulty there is the time machine. Somebody has to build it in one way. Okay, I, I have no idea how is, that is going to look like. It's well, most physicists are rather doubtful that you can have a time machine that goes into the past or like that, because then you could go back and, you know, just kill your grandmother or something. Ah, uh, the, the grandfather paradox. Right. But it isn't so much that they're worried about grandfathers. What they're worried about is causality, right? You want a universe where the physics works in such a way that you can say this cause leads to that effect. But if you can mm -hmm. go backwards in time, then that's no longer true and that causes difficulties. Many scientists say multiverses are facts or at least theoretical speaking, it is possible. Those yeah. are multiverses. That's different than well, yeah, time travel. Um, but if an alien species is existing in a different kind of, well, in another universe directly next to ours, then the connection to the, the bridge should be very short. Or am I mumbling something here? Well, it is not clear what short even means if you're talking about connecting to universes. Bending time and space. Yeah, yeah, but their time and space might be completely different. We live in a in a space that's mostly three dimensional, right? That's what we, you know, that that's our universe is kind of three dimensional. Maybe theirs is only two dimensional, or maybe it's you know seven dimensional or something. And time for them is completely different. I mean, it's it's not clear that you can say, oh, we'll just make a connection between their universe and ours, and we'll go through it, and uh, you know, end up right there. You know, there, there there could be another universe right here and in my den, right? and, and all the aliens are having a great party and with good food and stuff like that. It could all be happening, but I can't get into that universe and they can't get into mine as far as we know. So while interesting, uh, it's not very useful. It might be 
more useful if it turns out to be true. Or crossing the bridge, perhaps uh, 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 Professor Hawkins' ideas, experiments, and writings is it probably a solution? Well, not so, much Stephen, not so much Stephen Hawking, more so uh, Albert Einstein. The idea that you could have, yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 idea that you could have a connection between different universes and so forth. Yeah, but but that that's still in the realm of speculation at this point. I heard that uh, there are a couple of uh, experiments with, uh, for instance, the CERN um, had uh, 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 managed to go into the future, or just a little bit, but it's subatomic particles. It's, it's a long time ago. Yeah, well, going into the future is not so disruptive. Um, and I, I don't know the particulars of that experiment. Subatomic particles, I mean, there are a lot of things that CERN has done. For a while there, they thought they had something that was happening faster than the speed of light. And it turned out just to be a hardware problem. So you have to be careful. But, uh, you know, going into the future, I mean, you're going into the future right now. You're moving at the speed of about, you know, one hour per hour going God. into the future. <laughs> I knew I was fast. <laughs> Personally, I do believe that there um, uh, is other life form um, out there somewhere because it's a bit arrogant to think that you are the only species in the complete universe. Unless the universe is, well, as big as a Marvel as in the movie Man in Black. It is perhaps worth noting that the idea of aliens, the whole idea that the universe might have other beings in it besides Earthlings, I, I think most young people are already down with that idea. They're already in agreement with that idea. That's not a radical thing. But what I think is, if not radical, at least interesting, is that this is the first time in the history of humanity where we have enough science and enough technology to maybe find some of that life. And I think that's an interesting thing. For, for, for young people, um, what is your personal advice that you can give them for um, exploring the universe, for uh, getting a job that, well, is for looking at the, at the stars and get paid for it? That's amazing job. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, we've already talked about becoming an astronomer, and as I say, yes. it's no more difficult nor more complex than becoming any other sort of, if you will, professional. If you want to become a an historian, how do you do that? Well, you go to school, you study history, you read history, right? It's not so different, right? But the only advice I would give kids, and I have to say that when I was a kid, plenty of adults were trying to give me advice. And uh, generally speaking, I ignored them all. So I don't expect that any young people will listen to my advice either. But one thing I would say is that it has impressed me that it does pay to ask yourself, what is it that you find personally most interesting? And follow that. You know, don't do what somebody else is telling you to do. You know, maybe your parents are telling you that you ought to become a I don't know, I mean, a truck driver or, or a physician or, you know, all these things. But ask yourself, what is it that you like? And do that because you'll be better at it.
Where can we find you, Seth? Uh, uh, except for Sethi uh, uh, website, uh, your books and, and, and uh, your radio program. Where can we find you? And can people ask you questions? Well, people ask me questions all the time, and usually they, they're of the nature of, you know, when are you going to pay me back that loan? But I, I would say... <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I'm that's serious. That is, that's not true, Seth. No. I'm very easy to find. Uh, people can obviously go to the SETI Institute website. You know, my, my email address, my phone numbers, they're all there. I mean, I'm not hard to find. I'm also on social media, not that I spend much time there, but, you know, there's all that. If they can find my, if they can remember my name, they can easily find me because as far as I know, there's no other Seth Shostak on the planet. It's such an odd and unfortunate name. Nobody else has ever given it to their kid. Thank you all for tuning in this week on The Next Truth, where science and myth meet. Make sure to visit our website, www.nexttruth.com. That is nexttruth, all in one word, dot com. And let us know what you think about our podcast. While you're at it, if you find value in this show, we would appreciate a rating on our website in the section The Next Truth Podcasts. Or if you would simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. I am Maria Anna van Driel with The Next Truth. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.